comes lifting slash list lifts and riffs list for what you need when it snows, what you should go go buy. You need evisceration plague by cannibal corpse and like 15 pounds of baby back ribs. 15 pounds of meat. You need a Ouija board. Um, coffee. Some candles and some coffee, most definitely. Uh, something that you can listen to music to. So you need like, you need something that you can listen to music on that you can recharge in your car. So that way, if you lose power, you don't get fucked out of music in the, in the, in the blackout. That's huge. That's huge. A uh, hand cranked, hand operated turntable. I used to have a, a hand operated, a hand crank radio um, right. that, that oddly enough just stopped working for no apparent reason. Go figure, man. I guess we should do our intro. I always thought, should we do the intro as soon as we get on, do you think? Or should we just bullshit? I, I, I like just, I like things just sort of happening. Like I had this idea to maybe like formalize things a little bit, but I just don't think that's us, man. I okay. think, I think that just the shooting of the shit and like getting to it when we get to it is the way things should be. I like that. Well, let's get to it. I like it too. I agree with you. I'm glad we're in agreement. And welcome everybody to Glyphs and Riffs. I am Zach of Death Comes Lifting. Schuler from Death Drive 90.5. And today we are talking to the one and only Schuler. Introduce the man. We are talking to... The doctor of deep dish, the dean of dough, the lecturer of fucking, of fucking some shit that's pizza related that starts with L. It's Professor Pizza from Axe Slasher is gracing us with his presence today. And it's going to be fucking awesome because like, essentially, this is the type of person that this podcast was built to host. It's like equal parts horror equal parts death metal it's gonna be fucking awesome i have been following this dude for a number of years i think since like 2012 2013 something like that uh been a big fan of the music the whole time been a big fan of the aesthetic the whole time they dropped in 2020 their first official full-length record which is also a live record which is a hell of a fucking flex i think it's really good yes yeah. Uh, and it's really like the quality was fucking excellent. The song sounds so fucking hard live. I, I cannot wait for this dude to get more shit written and more shit out there. It's so much fun, man. So is it just him? Is it just this dude? Or is he no, just he's, the leader of the band? He's the leader and it's like his brainchild. And I'm pretty sure he's the only one who's been involved with it the entire time. But I, I believe that he collaborates with other people that he's that he's writing that, that, that are in the band now. Um, now he he and uh, Patrick from Crypticus actually have a history. I think Patrick um, that well, first of all, they both live in Colorado, so they are you know they hang out. Um, I think that Patrick did the production on past Axe Slasher stuff. I'm not entirely sure. Um, one of them did some solos on the other one's shit. So there you know there's a lot of back and forth between okay. the two of them. Good to know. Yeah, some some shared DNA in the music there. Axe Slasher's got more of a thrash tilt to it than uh, than Crypticus does, but man, sure. it, they're both just so fucking good, so much fun to listen to. Sure, yeah, I got to thank you for this one because this is one I'll admit that I had no idea who Axe Slasher was before we you booked the guest, and I had to do oh, it. Man. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad you enjoying yourself. Oh you yeah, man, I love yeah, it. I, I love the nerdy horror aspect of it, and I was I was pleasantly surprised. I got to be honest, I thought it was going to be kind of like municipal wasty. And I didn't know yeah. how I felt about it, but it's not like that. It's I think it's heavier than municipal weight. Like I'm not a big I'm not a big fan of like the party thrash, and no, it's not for it any 
I don't I don't like look down. I'm not like that's false or so I don't give a fuck about that. It just for whatever reason it just doesn't really click with me. Same. Now I do love me some fucking thrash influence in my death metal. Like I love Solstice. I love old Sepultura where they were doing the thrash and the death metal thing at the same time. And then some of the newer bands who are doing that kind of stuff, like Power Trip, I think are are awesome. Uh, Axe Slasher is is the perfect mix for me. It is of horror aesthetic, humor, and death metal and thrash elements. Like all of it coming together, it's fucking awesome. It's a lot of fun. It's absolutely perfect for Death Comes Lifting for this podcast. It is, man. It, it really, it really is. is. Yeah, the horror references are deep. It's their live album, dude. It's hard as fuck. Like I was, I listened to it working out today. I was like, holy shit. Like, I feel like I was there. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was just about to say, man. I feel like they nailed the mix perfectly to get enough of like the, the crowd noise and they they kept the banter in there. There were no it didn't seem didn't feel like there were any cuts or overdubs or any shit like that. And maybe you know, maybe to an extent that takes place in the post-production phase. I don't know, but you really can feel the live energy of the show. Um, obviously the band was playing their fucking asses off and, and you really can't tell that like the crowd was into it. I, I'm pretty sure it was a hometown show. Um, everybody was super stoked on it apparently. And that, you know, that's, that's the kind of live record that I want to hear if I'm going to listen to one. And I say that mostly preferring studio music, but I have listened to this one all the way through multiple times. And it's so, it's so much fun. I keep saying that shit, but it is, man. It's fun. Yeah, I can't wait to talk to him about it. I, I usually I usually have when we do these especially when we talk to like old guys who are like dudes who I grew up with fucking posters of on the wall dudes like fucking Steve Tucker or John McKinty I have like a little uh a little notepad next to me so that I can you know sort of stay on track and come up with some shit to ask if we run out with this guy today I have nothing on my fucking notepad I have every confidence that there will be no lulls in the conversation no fucking bullshit no nervousness it's just gonna be fun to talk to this dude man no he sounds yeah he sounds like he's gonna give it to us how we how we deserve it just a lot he's gonna he's gonna give it all i never have any notes and thanks for posting <laughs> on me just there i just i like to let it go i like to, i like to just drop a little i like to drop some chaos i plan it then i let you i let you water it and then we'll see how it goes. That's my theory. I feel like, and I think that that works out better for you, right? Like, I think that a lot of times, so one of the things that I caution against in, in school, whenever there's like a, whenever somebody's going to be doing uh, like a presentation is, is writing a script too much ahead of time, because I feel like they're going to get too focused on like sticking with what they've written down rather than just sort of letting it go. Like if somebody has a question or somebody else contributes a comment, you know, you take that and you, you incorporate it into it. And my, my problem with the, with the big name dudes is that I start getting fucking nervous and I start getting shook. And it's not to say that like, I'm not just as stoked to have, you know, somebody who's not Steve Tucker on the podcast. Obviously I am, but like one of the things that I've realized is that talking to those motherfuckers makes me nervous, man, just because like I, I, I want to make a good impression and also like just listening to him forever. I know. You do a good job, man. You hide your nervousness well. Right, man. Thank you. you do. do what I can. I rely on you. I rely on you to be the calm. I, I think I am. I try to be. I try to be. I'm not, I can't say I'm nervous. I was a little nervous talking to John McKenty just because I love incantation so much. And I yep. think I did like have a, th- a lot in my mind that I wanted to ask him. And I just got like, you know, lost in what I wanted to ask him. 
Well, we got the one that we confirmed this morning that's yeah. coming up in the future. I'm nervous as a motherfucker about, so get ready for that to be a shit show. I'll be, I can handle it. It'll be okay. All right, cool. Apparently, apparently this is a super cool and relaxed person as I understand it. Um, so we, you know, I'm sure that we'll be talking to somebody who is very kind and gracious. Uh, but do. like, this is, this, yeah, yeah. But this is going to be, this is going to be a big one for me. So I'll be a mess. Stay, stay tuned, people. Yeah, idea. you're gonna want to. You're gonna want to hear that one. It's gonna be bad as fuck. We got a lot. Of, we got a lot in the bank, man. I'm excited for Dude. this. Dude, 2021. I have all kinds of resolutions that I made regarding, like, you know, my my work, regarding my research and stuff for school. Um, I haven't done anything with that at all. But with yes. the resolution, with the resolution to do more regular podcasts and to like put a little bit more into them, that shit is fucking full steam ahead. So at least I'm accomplishing something with my year. I love it. I love how you're still going by the rebellious metalhead teenager ethos in there that's bailing on responsibility and focusing on this. Someday I die. If, if, if only I could get it all the way out. No, never. Never change. We don't want to do that. We don't, we don't want to do that. How's keto going? Keto's good, man. I'm back in the fucking groove. Are you? Like, basically what I was getting at. Yeah. Yeah. It took me like five weeks this time since my since my break for the for the holidays um you know dropped dropped a shitload of water weight back in the groove but like ever since doing the vegetarian keto thing and that's been since the beginning of february uh absolute game changer dude i feel fucking incredible i feel like you have more youthful vibrance and energy about you more youthful and vibrant yeah. It was, uh, it's, I don't know, it's just been cool because it, part of it is exciting to try all this shit that I've never had before, like fucking started eating Satan last week. So now I get to say like, hail Satan and all that shit. And like, that's funny to me. Uh, Cause like, I'm, you know, everything about me has dad vibes, except for the fact that I'm childless, which is the plan. Um, but like, that's just funny to me. And, and, and I told my wife, like in a text message, Hail Satan, right? And she's like, how long have you been waiting to say that? All my life. All my life. But, um... Dude, I need to beat your wife. I need to talk to her. Dude, she, my, my wife is absolutely my fucking best friend. She's cool as fuck. Um, we have very similar senses of humor, and uh, it's, it's, it's a fun time in the Benson house. That's so cool, dude. I was gonna say, if she's married to you, she's, you know, she knows what's up, basically, is what I mean. She can handle some yes. she's married to you. You know? She can she can she can deal with a lot of bullshit being married to me. Um, she has to be down. She has to be down, and she is. She is. Do you make Ride her, or die. Do you make her listen to uh, like flesh grind and stuff? <laughs> Man, so she's done a really good job of like learning to. She likes some metal and stuff. Like we bonded over bands like Crowbar when we first when we first met. So like she's into a lot. She she likes Weed Eater. Um, but with like, with like the brutal death metal shit, like she doesn't, she just, she's just learned to tune it out. Like, I don't think it's even music for her. Like, I think it's just background noise. What fucks her up is if I'm listening to something with lyrics that she can understand, like, especially if she's trying to work or something like that. Like I, and you know me, like I get on these, I get on these hyper fixations where like, I'll listen to nothing but one band for like six straight weeks. And I did that right after we moved here in 2017, I was listening to fucking Iron Maiden and I listened to Iron Maiden for like weeks on end. And by the time that was over, she was like, you can never play this fucking shit in here again. I'm sick of it. 
she can understand all the fucking words. Yeah. That's where that's where she draws the line, which I think is I think is interesting because a lot of this other ungodly fucking cacophonous racket, you would think that's the kind of shit that would make somebody go crazy. But no, nah, man, she can ignore like fucking you know flesh grind or fucking yeah. uh, Shinda Saibo no Katamari is what I was listening to a while ago. She just, she just doesn't even fucking know what's going on. Yeah. So the untrained ear, all that shit sounds the same. So it's probably just noise. Like she can just tune out. Maiden's got Dick Dickinson just in her ear all day long. Right. You can't fucking tune out Maiden, baby. Typo Negative was another one too. Like I, I get, I get big into them around Halloween every year. Like every October, I listen to fucking. How cliche am I? I listen to Typo Negative like a motherfucker. And I think it was. This was around like in 2015 or 2016. We were living in Myrtle Beach, and that was when Hurricane Matthew hit, and we were cooped up in the apartment for like a week straight, and it was October, and I was only listening to fucking typo negative, um, and that was another ultimatum that I got at the end of it. Like you gotta, you gotta fucking put on headphones with this shit in the future because it's it's just too much. It didn't get just too romantic. It didn't, cool. man. She didn't. No, I did not love her to death. It wasn't close enough to Halloween then. You didn't cast the right spell. That's exactly what it was. That's exactly what it was. It wasn't because it was still summer vibes. It was okay. still summer. Summer is fucking hurricane weather, but not not in South Carolina, man. It was fall and it was fucking everything up. Well, let's see what hurricanes Axe Slasher can bring in. I like that. That was oh, a fucking oh, graceful oh, segue, man. Oh, I, am, oh, I like it. I'm good for bad jokes and corny segues too, bro. And there's uh you've got a little bit of the dad vibes going yourself. Oh yeah, I'm I'm 100 percent dad vibes with the jokes. Here he is, Professor Pizza. What's up, this, brothers? How you doing? This motherfucker, right oh. here. Holy shit. All right, this is exciting. Dude, how I've never are you, man. I'm good. I'm shocked. I've only seen your face like five times through the internet. So it's like, holy shit. Now I'm seeing the inside of your room. I'm getting like the inside scoop here. Holy shit. Man, this is this is the uh this is the unfilth chamber. This is like <laughs> this is where shit's like a little bit, a little bit cleaner, a little bit more professional. But you know, one of the things that we were talking about in the intro. Um, is how I've been following your music since like 2012, I believe, and interacting with you on Twitter this entire time. Um, one of the fucking coolest, like most gracious dudes that I've met whose music I like. Um, it's a really, really, really great to finally get a chance to talk to you, man. Thank you so dude, much for coming on. Dude, thank you. That's some gracious words. Um, I don't know if I'd use any of those words to descri describe myself, but I appreciate that someone else would. Uh, yeah, I mean, shit, I think you've been you've been listening to our shit since we put out a trailer for what we were trying to do. When I, I say so, we, yeah. I basically just mean like me in a bedroom chopping together horror movie things with like some of the riffs that I was like, these could be songs someday. That could be cool. <laughs> well, and they are. And it's fucking awesome. It's great to meet you, man. Thank you. I've already that. broken kayfabe. God damn it. Uh, I didn't write those songs. Those are transmissions that I found uh, by through my various paranormal uh research instruments that have been right. broadcast from mount bailey so i didn't write that ignore what i just said seized by the uh by the by the shadow agencies that's um, right and that's right re recycled and, and put out to the ears of the masses one of the things <laughs> we were one of the things that we were talking about before we got you on um this podcast uh with 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 me and with zach was basically founded on a love of extreme music and horror 
And I think that you probably fit the bill. You're like the you're like the person we built this podcast around. So we are definitely <laughs> looking forward definitely looking forward to a fun chat today, man. Well, if I knew it was going to be this intense, I would have boned up before I got on here. But I, I, let's see what I can shake loose from the old cobwebs. Yeah, give it a shot. Like we're not going to fucking quiz you on anything, uh, <laughs> but it'll still be it'll it'll still be fun just to chat with somebody who's into the same shit we are. And and I'm just looking forward to a to a good good chat oh okay so you guys are cool horror fans where you're not constantly looking to do a purity test i got you i got you yes Uh, all right oh you like you you like friday the 13th (laughs) name five victims from the third movie no we're not trying to fuck with that shit i mean we could get everybody (laughs) yeah there you go right everybody enjoys in their own way and all we care about is that the people that we talk to are stoked on this shit. Dude, I love that attitude because I think that, I mean, I'm guilty of it when I was younger. And I think a lot of people are guilty of oh, it yeah. when they first start getting into anything like this, right? Like there's this sense of I'm special because I listen to extreme metal or I'm special because I enjoy, enjoy gore movies. And rather thinking about like, hey, the rising tide of more people liking this stuff it like makes more of this type of art that you like to enjoy because it becomes like viable (laughs) rather than just a a labor of love and like a total money pit for these people to make these things. Uh, And I've definitely changed my view over like, I don't know, maybe I think since, you know, basically college, so like 2008, 2009, somewhere around there, just being like, you know what? I'm not here to yuck people's yum, right? Like you may like different metal than me. You like make, you may like different horror than me. Let's find a common thread somewhere and maybe I can do some subterfuge to get you into some cooler shit. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Guys, sneak one in on them. Uh, yeah, That's but right. seriously, like it's it's um it's it's better when it's a welcoming environment, I think. Um, and I think about sort of you know also having been a young dick who was super fucking elitist about some of this shit. Um, I, I feel like part of my penance for that is trying to be as. Uh, as welcoming and as inclusive as I can possibly be now. And you know what, dude? Like, that shit feels better. It feels better bonding with people over the shit that we enjoy than necessarily doing, like, the thing that I did throughout my early 20s and my late teens where I was like, I'm going to find some motherfuckers who hate the same shit that I do, and that's going to be our thing. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's much better to have relationships around positive things than negative things. That's definitely something I've learned over time. (laughs) It is indeed. All right, man, let's fucking get into it. I don't even let's really jump. know. I don't even really know where to start today. One of the things uh, that I think that we can, well, this is what we, we were talking about before you got on. Um, we were chatting about what I am calling the debut full length from Axe Slasher, Ooh, yeah. which, which is also a live record, which is one of the biggest fucking flexes I think I've ever come across. <laughs> extreme days, man. Um, let's start there and sort of work backwards like this. Do you feel like this was sort of a culmination of what you guys have been working toward? You feel like maybe that was sort of an end of an era with these songs in the beginning of something new? How did the idea come about? Tell us everything we want to know. Sure, man. So, uh, there was no grand plan for Dead Alive. Dead Alive was the only grand plan for Dead Alive is that we had the opportunity to open for one of my favorite bands of all time, Violence. Like, And yeah. that's one of those bands that you discover Eternal Nightmare uh, in the late thousands or, or whenever it was. Like, I think I was high school, college, and I was like, this is fucking game changing. Like, this is exactly what I'm looking for from a thrash record. Like, Sean Killian's vocals sound like... He's got this this style that sounds like a guy who's in the other room when the band is playing and not totally sure of what's going on, but it fucking <laughs> yeah. works. 
and yeah. it, it's amazing and then the riffage on that album is just like i worship the riff, riffage on that album so like finding that <clears throat> and and really kind of like studying it so there's two records that I, I really study in terms of like academic study in terms of like trying to find inspiration and the first is rain and blood and the second is eternal nightmare those are the two albums that like if i can if I could ever write a song that would fit on either of those records, I could die a happy man. And so now every song that's ever been written is kind of like an eternal pursuit to try to like fit into one of those albums. But anyway, um, the, everyone in, in Axe Slasher is, is a huge fan of violence, especially Richie Tice, uh, who plays drums for us. He may like he literally carries around like a violence uh, fan club card in his wallet uh <laughs> he's like the eternal collector like if you go to our practice space it's up at, at his house in the mountains and it's just like this treasure trove museum of all the different things that he's collected over the years and he's one of those dudes that's like not shy about getting anything signed like he and i flew out to oakland to go see violence um a few years ago and uh, I'm the kind of guy when I fly out for a show, I'm ready to like, all right, let's bomb around town. Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into. And we'll show up like right before uh, doors open or slightly after doors open. He's like yeah. waking me up in the hotel. Like, dude, we got to go. We got to go. I was like, what are you? What the fuck, man? The show's like this this afternoon, this evening. Why are you waking me up now? And he's like, we got to go stand outside and see if we can like catch him loading in. Because he like pulls out this like. <laughs> suite of things he wants signed and i was like all right yeah let's do it your way man i've never done it this way let's do it this way <laughs> that's fucking uh, awesome and, uh, to see that kind of enthusiasm dude he's so enthusiastic about metal and about like you know he's really interested in the idea that you know he's thankful that he gets to be a part of like contributing to metal as a whole as well as you know looking back at all the things that inspired him like He's the kind of dude that gets ta like gets uh, a band guy to sign his arm. Like he's got all Pantera essentially who signed his arm and then he immediately goes and gets it tattooed. So he's got, you know, he's just such a, a fan first. And then on top of it, maybe one of the best drummers that I've ever met in my life, specifically for, you know, playing thrash. Like I think that it goes Richie Tice, Dave Lombardo, everyone else. Uh, that's kind of my opinion. Uh, but anyway, we uh, had the opportunity to open for them at in Denver, and uh, we've been really kind of like getting the, at that time, it was like what, December 2019. Um, it's really rare that Axe Slasher gets a live appearance uh, for a number of different reasons. You know, one of the main ones being uh, we have to have like a pretty good relationship with the promoter just to do the type of live show that we like to do, yeah. uh, which involves spraying lots of uh, fake blood. That oh, yeah, no, we're going to get there. We're going to get to that. <laughs> tends to stain uh, wooden spaces and bum people <laughs> out if they're not aware that it's going to happen. But I digress. We have this great relationship with some promoters uh, in Denver, you know, a dude named Danny Sachs, uh, who books a lot of the really awesome theaters around here. And uh, he, you know, basically said, we got violence coming. We want you and Havoc to play it. And we're like, we're there, dude. Like, you need us to, like, go mop the floor and, like, clean the toilets before the show because we're 100% in <laughs> or whatever you need us to do. Um, so we ended up like kind of putting together the live set. The live set, you know, is always a collection of like my favorite stuff from Anthology of Terror Volume 1 and my favorite kind of like from the singles that we've put out. And uh, that night we ended up hiring a dude named Matt Kogel to do sound for us. And Matt, his day job at the time was touring with Slayer and doing their stage sound. 
So we knew we were in good hands. We try to hire him whenever he's in, in town to, uh, to do our sound because he knows, we know that he knows us. He knows how to smooth us out in the areas that we're rough and he knows how to boost the things that we're really good at. Um, and, and he really just destroyed it uh, on stage for us. Like we felt after that, that set, we were like, man, that's maybe one of the best sets we've ever done. That was fucking awesome. You know, high fives. And then like, all right, now let's go backstage and see if we can like, bother phil demel for an hour and a half before uh, <laughs> play uh and and you know right after we got off stage and i'm running to the merch booth because i'm that guy who's like i'm just gonna go to the merch booth you guys got your equipment right okay cool great uh, <laughs> uh you know he comes up to us and he's holding this thumb drive and he's like you're gonna be pretty excited about this and i was like oh shit uh, and it turns out that while he was running the soundboard he had the forethought to go ahead and record the whole set too and uh listen back to it we've recorded a lot of sets and a lot of them i've been like mm, we're not putting this out this is pretty bad like mostly on my performance but uh generally it's like oh shit there was a stage problem where you know yeah. stage left guitar went out in this song and still sounds cool if you were there but if you put it on a record you'd be pretty bummed out about it and there was like no problems with this recording whatsoever all across the board and i was like well, we gotta do something with this uh and i talked to matt about it I was like, you want to mix this for us? Like, I'm, I trust you. I mean, you mix this live. Like, you could probably make this sound pretty badass. And he's like, yeah, I mean, I'm a sound engineer. I can do that. Uh, <laughs> we worked with him for a couple of months getting that ironed out. And, like, the more I listened to it, the more I was like, this is exciting. Like, I don't think we've we've never been able to capture our live show. And because we play so rarely, there's not, like, a, a reputation around that other than, like, oh, bring a poncho. So I think that having that and putting that out was was like becoming more and more motivating. So we started looking into like self-pressing the record and I started, you know, whipping up some concepts for the art and kind of landed on a, well, I mean, the greatest live album of all time is Live Undead, in my opinion. And this felt to me like our Live Undead just with like, he had the forethought to like wire up crowd mics and, and all this other stuff uh, that we weren't even anticipating yeah. asking for thinking about and i was like this feels like our live undead even though live undead now we know uh <laughs> was largely a studio affair um yeah but i mean it's still it's still got a lot of the same vibes i think like if you say energy. that's what you're aiming for yes the energy is there the banter is there tom Araya's fucking the, the live undead banter is classic this one's let's say fuck the pen because you could die by the sword, ba, ba, da, ba, da, 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 da. oh god! It's this is for all the little cunts who like to suck blood in the night or <laughs> whatever. It's like you've got that same kind of energy as a front yeah. man, you know. And so, like that's that absolutely was part of the vibe that the recording nailed. Yes, please continue. Fuck yeah, yeah. I mean, so we we worked on that, and then when it came down to mastering, uh, we tapped into our buddy uh, uh, who who plays in Cephalic Carnage. And, and he was able to master it for us and like, holy shit, it, it, it came alive. Like, it was just like, wow, that extra layer of like taking it to someone else and, and saying, Goldberg, what can you do with this? Uh, we know you're a sound engineer too. And, and unfortunately, a lot of our friends, uh, you know, at the time of mixing and mastering, COVID had hit by that point because, you know, yeah. we recorded it in December uh, 2019 took me about a month and a half to decide that we were actually going to do something with it. And then we started mixing and mastering. And by that time, you know, both of those guys out of jobs, um, you know, for the foreseeable future, everyone in, in my band, except for me also has a, a job in live music. So they're starting to get out of their jobs. And I was just like, man, 
this sucks. Like this yeah. is pretty, pretty pitiful. Like maybe we can spread some of the love around here since like I was fortunate enough and privileged enough to still be employed and, and have income that, you know, gave me the privilege to be able to like pay people to do stuff for me. And, and that's where it came down to is like, okay, I can pay Goldberg, you know, maybe I can get his car payment this month and he can do the mastering for us. And then we can get this out. Um, you know, Matt, you know, he was so gracious in, in like his services and ended up trying to pay him more than what he was asking for because like, dude, your, your whole, whole thing right now is not looking good, you know, in the middle of March, somewhere around there. And in April, we sent it off to get pressed, finished up the artwork. Uh, I painted up a cover that was a complete ripoff of Live Undead, but with an axe slasher twist. Uh, we had Rusty Shackles. Uh, I don't know if you know him uh, on Twitter, awesome artist who uh, did like a cool band portrait of us for the back, did all the layout, sent it off uh, with the idea of like, all right, we got this out by April. It's going to be a Halloween release. This is perfect. Um, and, and we were ready to go with it. And the more that I started like kind of showing it around to people like on the Axe Slasher Discord, the more, you know, just showing it to friends and, and people like that, the more we started to realize, oh, this is kind of a special thing. Um, yeah. And you're right. It is our debut full length. Uh, everything else has either been a single or an EP which is, um, I don't know, the fun about being an independent artist is you can do whatever the fuck you want, right? Like, it's why we do singles. That's why we do, yeah. uh, the first thing was an EP instead of an LP. It's why we're not on a label because the independence and, and ownership over this stuff is pretty important to me. Well, man, what that record did for me was it made me feel like I was at fucking club metal show. And that's yeah. more to me than a lot of records this year so far, man, because we all miss that. And I love, you know, I love working out to live music. Like you said, Live Undead, Decade of Aggression. Those are like my top two, man. Yeah, it, buddy. This just channeled, channeled that energy so well, dude. And I, I can't be the only one that feels that way. And that's a, that's a bold thing to capture, man. You capture the energy. That means more than most shit, man. So you guys fucking crushed it. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. I was curious, like, how it was going to be received because, you know, mentioned a couple of X factors here that are non-traditional. Like, your first actual full-length debut is going to be a live album. Kind of rarely happens. Live albums are, like, what bands uh, shit out when they when they need, like, a boost in the, <laughs> in, the, in the profile, right? Like, generally, it's not something that people... Or it's something that gets shoved on to the back of a re-release of you know, the first album or something like that. And not something that people like, this is, it was way more common in like the seventies and eighties for, for a band to be like, here's us live. And we had never been able to capture that until that night opening for violence, where apparently we all decided we were going to bring our a game for uh, the first and only time. I'm just kidding. We're, <laughs> we always try to work hard, but it was definitely one of those special sets where I was like, I was like in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to remember this forever. This was awesome. And then when, Kogel drops the thumb drive like also I recorded it enjoy it was like dude you motherfucker how dare you thank you <laughs> <laughs> well it's in like that one of the things that I do think made it special apart from being a killer performance and apart from you know just the the whole vibe of you guys getting to do that anyway is that hearing all those songs in a sequence feels like an album for the first time it gives something different to those songs that we've only ever heard as singles or as an EP you know spread out and fucking as part of a bigger whole, I think really gives them sort of a different life. And that was, like you said, as somebody who's been listening to, to Axe Slasher since it was just a fucking uh, a promo on Twitter, 
um, it was really cool to get that feel of like, man, this is, it, they've got room to breathe and they're all part of this one big, just one big living performance. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> well, I, and, I think you, you hit a good point there because I think that like people wonder like, why do you guys put out singles sporadically instead of like writing an album? And it's because we're constantly, I look at us as a live band more than a recording band, even though our recordings do, you know, some semblance of well for us in terms of streams and sales and stuff like that on Bandcamp. But I definitely look at us like I think that the core reason for Axe Slasher to be is the live show. And I think that part of it being special is that it doesn't happen as often as maybe yeah. it should or could. So we really put a lot of effort into like how can this set flow uh, really well and the single creation process is like we need a song like X to fit in this set in this spot yeah. or we need a song like Y to do a one-two punch here and it, it started to like turn it into a cohesive thing where it's like this could be like this the selection of songs from Anthology of Terror and you know the selection of singles that have come out could potentially be like re-recorded re uh you know and and put together as a whole again i don't know if i'd ever want to do that but as a live album it was perfect yes yes i 100 agree i think that it turned out to be something really cool really special and well, thank you i appreciate that you guys like it you're making me blush no for sure well seriously like it's we one of the one of the only criteria about getting anybody on this fucking podcast is that we don't have to bullshit about liking something so like <laughs> you know you know what i mean like we we specifically talk to people whose shit we like and we both really enjoy that record um instead of just that live show though let's talk more about the act slasher live vibe on the whole since that is such a big deal for you and such a primary focus of the band in its entirety um you're not the only people on stage during these events are you occasionally occasionally is there is there any of this that you don't want to talk about because i don't want to put you in a place where you don't where you got to talk about some shit that you would rather be like a surprise in the future or something like that no i you know our in terms of like i think that this show has a lot more region or um you know national reach than our specific live show that seems to kind of only happen in uh california or colorado but i think that you know there's there's a lot of and it all of it comes from you know, this love of bands like Guar and Ghoul. And then when I was in high school, there was a local band called Seraphim Shock that uh, people used, to, when I was in high school, people would talk about that band and like, dude, they fucking, they spray blood on people when they, when you go to their shows, <laughs> and they, like, they like throw tampons at the audience and stuff. And I was like, that is the coolest fucking reputation for a band to have. <laughs> And I was like, that's the reputation I want for my band. Like, yeah, I'd like to be known for putting on a killer set, but I also want that secondary like qualifier of like, D did you know that they spray blood on people? And it's like really fucking <laughs> kind of crazy. Like, yes, I would like that. And uh, throughout uh, kind of the inception of Axe Slasher for our first show ever um, at a, a festival that uh, a bunch of friends and myself used to put together in Denver called Denver Black Sky, that was one of the first live Axe Slasher sets. And uh, some things that we did for that show is that we linked up with uh, like bondage and suspension group. And we worked out a way for this guy to be suspended by hooks from his back, all like a hundred and some odd feet in the air. Uh, it just like as the set starts, he just kind of lifts from the middle of the pit 
into the top of the theater and then starts like spinning and hanging for the entire set. We're starting to, you know, I had a friend who um, I worked with back in California who was a, a prop master for a lot of different movies uh, like Van Helsing and Dude, Where's My Car? He's got a crazy uh, resume, but those are the two that always stick out to me because they're so, I don't know, fun. But he built this, he and I used to do this thing in California where he was known and he's in this documentary called Haunters uh, that you can find on Netflix. He put on like this crazy home haunt every year for Halloween where he would just transform his parents' front yard into this house of horrors full of just like, you know, Hollywood prop master crap. Um, And he would invite all of his friends to participate in scaring the shit out of people. And that was like maybe one of the funnest me and my girlfriend both like working in this haunted house next to each other i'm behind like this big leather face door that i can swing open and blah blah blah, blah, blah come out at people and shit um it, it's one of the funnest things so i've always kept in touch with him and uh I, I tapped him i was like hey i got this idea for this band that i'm working on i want to be able to spray blood on people i don't have like a ton of resources in terms of like you know i think you're thinking guar where you got the costume and the head and the you know pressurized things i don't have all that yeah but i do want to do it <laughs> and he's like i got you bud and he ended up coming up with this thing that looks like a uh, a plunger with a disembodied head on it and you can stick it into a bucket of blood pull the plunger up and then spray about 40 50 feet in like this big splattery arc so he impressive ended up up building that for me so our first show uh ever was like kind of opening this festival um in the early like i don't know mid-range of the afternoon um people like just starting to get in you know kind of like what the hell's going on and then lights go down lights on this dude he gets a bunch of meat hooks in his back he flies up in the air and then we come out acting like a bunch of maniacs spraying people with blood and and kicking things off and the reaction we got from our friends and from you know respected people in the industry our merch booth was right next to the relapse records merch booth Uh, and then when we came back to it the guys from relapse leaned over and like this festival didn't kick off until that crazy shit just happened i was like i'm glad you (laughs) like that thanks dudes fucking awesome so like that was the the kind of okay solidify this is what we're doing because at the time like i didn't know if we were ever going to play live again like i thought this was just going to be a a bedroom project that you know patrick from crypticus helped me mix and taught me how to use like the the shit to make it happen and i was like this is probably as far as it's ever going to go maybe some fun twitter antics and then it started morphing into the live world and i was like this is where it belongs like it belongs out of the bedroom and on the stage so i've got a, a history of playing guitar in bands and i've never been a front man i've always been like a either rhythm or lead guitar kind of guy um and and never had that responsibility of being in front man i think for the first couple of years i was real shit at it um you know just stumbling around my words keeping the mic like nowhere near my mouth uh no rhythm and i feel like over time i've gotten slightly better uh and it's become like something that you focus on right like you end up studying wrestlers and their promos and thinking about like okay what does a good promo look like from stone cold steve austin or rick flair and start thinking about like you know professor pizza at its core is a heel so let's start bringing in some of the you know the greatest heel talks of all time and tapping my friends who are super into wrestling like give me your top 10 uh you know heel promos boom just consuming all that as much as possible and remembering like my favorite stuff as a kid and the was it the attitude era of WWE and trying to bring all that in plus the horror movie plus the live show, which has turned into, um, you know, we, we 
we grab or weirdos gravitate towards us because we are weird and we put out that vibe of like weirdos welcome come on by and through that i've met various people um one of them is a dude named mr sam hain his name's Corey. he's an awesome yes. he's that like, he's he's one of the i so i found his instagram through you and uh that dude's horror collection is absolutely fucking insane now he dresses up as jason on stage for you guys right yep he's a he's a he's got a several different types of cosplay that he does so the dude's like i don't know six foot four he's really tall like taller than me i'm six i'm like six one and a half ish and he he's taller than i am um you know awesome bod totally built you know (laughs) shout out Corey. enjoy the uh the compliments on your bod uh, but yeah, he's got an amazing horror collection. He's just down for the cause of like, hey, what can I do to help out? I was like, you want to, you know, come on our stage and, and fuck around? Because there's a couple of songs we have instrumental where I'll, I'll leave the stage. And that's when Jason Voorhees gets to come out. And he's built this cool costume based off of the part seven, like look of Jason. But he also keeps an Axe Slasher t-shirt kind of underneath the uh, the whole ensemble. And so you get to see the pizza gram and also Jason's rib cage and all that cool shit. Uh, and, and he'll come out. I'll give him, you know, over the time we've made, I've made self-made props and had other people make us props and be like, all right, here's your head full of fake blood. Go ahead and squirt it all over people and get people hyped up. Um, and then it's always fun as professor pizza to kick him off the stage. You're like, all right, Jason Voorhees, get the fuck out of here. Like no one wants to see. <laughs> you. Is that, well, and, that, and that sort of, that's a good segue into one of the other main things that we wanted to talk with you about today. And, and Zach's going to have as much to say as, as either of us. Um, Maybe. Would there be Axe Slasher? Would you have the desire to play music or, or, or sort of create in the way that you do without the love that you have for the horror genre? There definitely wouldn't be an Axe Slasher. There may be a different type. There would be a different type of metal band, like straight up. It wouldn't be what it is today. It would be like... I don't know. I'd probably be into sci-fi if I wasn't into horror. I like sci-fi, but you know, you'd pick one thing to go. I guess there's no like romance metal, but there's definitely fantasy metal. Um, action I feel like, metal. I feel like I feel like Cradle of Filth is a little bit of all of that. It always comes back to Cradle of Filth. Man, I have it's horny vampire circus music, and I'll fucking die defending it. I don't give a fuck. That's but- a great description. It's yeah, it's, it's 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 exceptional. I'm a fan of it. But so tell us a little bit about like your history getting into horror. Did it sort of run parallel to the way that you got into heavier music? Um, what about that drives you now? Tell us a little bit about your yearly um, Oktoberfest that you do, where you watch a new movie and sort of go through that process with with the people who follow you on Instagram. Like talk talk about your relationship with that for a little bit. Yeah, I think you know horror started. Um, I had, I grew up in like a poor conservative household. I think that's a good way to think about like my general upbringing that had like this tinge of Christianity, but there was no going to church and there was no like, no actual worship or anything like that going on. But there was the idea that God's watching you at all times, that kind of stuff. And generally that like skulls, black blood were kind of unacceptable things. Um, And as, as I kept getting older, like as that, those things are suppressed from you, the more you desire them, right? Like the more you're like, well, I got my own job now. I got my own money. I'm gonna go buy whatever fucking DVD I want. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
and, and kind of like building a collection and like finding magazines like Rue Morgue and Fangoria and reading through those and like Fangoria in particular, because, you know, Fangoria didn't care. They'd blow the lid off of the coolest gore gag in the in the movie yeah. before the movie was out. And he's <laughs> like, oh, I got to see this, whatever this is. Um, and and reading specifically like interviews with directors uh, and finding like, oh, some of these guys have like similar backgrounds to me. And it's like, this is a cool like this you know that horror media was an area where misfits were you know idolized right like in greater hollywood horror directors are not looked you know fondly upon until they're 60 years into their career and, and on death's doorstep and then all of a sudden they've been wow you've stuck around for so long we admire you here's all the awards <laughs> Good for you. um and, and i think that kind of like seeing like oh this is cool this is like this is, uh, you know, this is for me. Like, I, I like all this weird stuff. I've always had a morbid curiosity around, like, um, you know, at the Scholastic Book Fair as a little kid, like picking up the Guinness World Record and trying to find all the freak stuff that you could find, like longest fingernails and like anything that would gross people out. I was like, this is dope. I like this. Um, <laughs> I want more of this in my life. And, and kind of leading into like, well, I like being scared. It feels good to be scared. It feels yes. comfortable. And that's probably more about the background than anyone needs to really get into but like that idea that if you grow up in chaos you find comfort in chaos and I find a ton of comfort of being in the world of a horror movie and like I don't you know sure fear plays a part of it but a lot of it is just like this feels good I like I'm getting something in my brain that's feeling good about being a part of this horror movie for for an hour and a half and the more you deeper you get into things the more you start to think about um, how was it made? Who made it? What actually went into this? What's the story behind all this? At the same time, you know, I went to college and I got a, basically an art degree in college, which gave me a huge education on kind of classical art history, as well as helping me learn how to think about art differently than I had been at a deeper level, rather than like, I like it, I don't like it thinking about it in in terms of like well what's the cultural context around it what's the context of the people that have made it and really figuring out how to frame and pick these things apart and i think that college education always being a misfit and finding kind of like your people in the horror community and the the undercurrent of heavy metal kind of like pushing all these things along really coalesced into like i want to make a horror heavy metal band like i don't want to yeah. make a heavy metal band that's political um we get into politics, but like that being the the thing about the band was not interesting to me because I love punk music. And I was like, there's plenty of punk bands that do that. And if I was going to do that, like start a cool punk band that, that's really like explicitly political. Whereas I liked that horror could be political, but it could wrap that political message into an awesome narrative or a scary narrative. And, and I think that's one of the things that while in college looking at horror and being like i love slasher movies and what's kind of like the egghead you know view of slasher movies and looking at how like sure there's you know a, a bunch of patriarchy and misogyny in a lot of slasher movies but then there's also you know depending on who's the director and what they're saying you know in the subtext of their story there is a huge wave of feminism in sure. in horror movies as well and, and you can tease apart all the different themes and really break that down but ultimately like looking at it as oh these are you know people like george romero right like lots of subtext lots of stuff packed into those movies but on the surface they're a kick-ass zombie movie 
And you could totally enjoy it at that level or the deeper you want to engage with the piece, the more you can start to think about it and and tease apart these, these ultimate themes that could maybe teach you a lesson or expose you to a viewpoint that you haven't been exposed to before. So that kind of like reverence of taking an academic look at trash, you know, quote unquote trash, what people would consider trash and, and trying to approach it in that way so that it could be in a museum someday or in a dissertation or, or something like that became the, the back burner for Axe Slasher over time, which is like, can I take something that's considered trashy, like thrash metal and horror movies, and recombine that in a way and try and sneak in some different subtext and themes based off of like my approach to making the music. So think an example is like in the woods there is no law that it's goofy it's fun it's off time it's a whole bunch of stuff but when you tear apart those lyrics it's like two different perspectives of the same event that you know ultimately is centered around the idea of police brutality from the perspective of both the police and the perspective of just some kids having a party that got broken up by the police um and then the my solution to the problem which is a chainsaw wielding maniac uh, cuts the police up into a bunch of little bits Sometimes that's how it's got to go, man. <laughs> now, I do I do think that it's really, it's a cool thing for you to seize on. And it's something that we haven't really gotten a chance to talk about in a number of different conversations that we've had about horror and about heavy music on this podcast is that while, yes, there are uh, major patriarchal, misogynist, sometimes racist undertones, yeah. uh, overtones in metal, right? Some, yeah. Um, and, yeah. And, in, and in horror, like these things are there. It's, I don't want to deny those things. And I don't want to lessen the impact of them, but I also think that it's important um, to to do what you're kind of talking about here, which I think is peeling back the layers and finding representation in these genres um, that's always been there, and it's been there at a time when they were largely ignored in more mainstream genres, right? Right. You can look back, you, horror specifically, right, has a number of different milestone, uh, high water marks for actors of color, for women at a time when when leading characters weren't necessarily uh, doing it in, in big Hollywood, right? Absolutely. Um, and I think that you can find a lot of that in metal too, because while there is that aggression there, underneath it, there's a lot of vulnerability. And I think that we're starting to see, speci- especially in online conversations, right? In Twitter, um, the queer community, uh, people of color really coming to embrace heavy music and finding something that they that, that reflects back at them in that. Right. And that's really that's really exciting to me, right? And I'm just a fan of this shit, right? I'm somebody on the outside, but talking to somebody who is a creator of this kind of music and who sees these things and who is actively, you know, making more of it, I, I think it's just really cool to hear somebody talk about that. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Like, I, I think that you're right. Like, at at its core, we really break it down. You know, one of the things that I love most about heavy metal. And to a certain extent, horror movies, this air of aggression, right? Like there's aggression that's that's in the air. And there's a couple of ways to look at aggression. Like, you know, you have to look at who that aggression is targeted at. You also have to look at the source of that aggression. Like what's yes. the motivation behind that aggression? Is it a just motivation or is it an unjust motivation? Like if your aggression is based on your hatred of people's skin color, I'm not going to be a, interested in what you're doing and probably actively interested in you not doing it anymore. Um but if your aggression is based off of like personal pain, 
that's something that everyone can connect with, especially people, you know, I recognize I'm an old white dude. I've been privileged for much of my life. Uh, you know, I've got a college degree. I've had college degree style jobs that have, you know, kept me employed. I've also faced hardship, but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't compare to anything that, you know, many, many other people in America and across the world have ever experienced. And if I've got this much pain that I can convert into anger and aggression, like maybe I can do something that can help you find that and tap into it. Cause like dealing like aggression is always based in pain, either pain of being wronged or pain of the past, all these type of things. Uh, it's, it's almost never like um, this aggression is happening because I feel good. It's, it's always because I'm not feeling great and I'm going to take it out on either the thing that hurt me or society at large. And I'm less interested on the, I'm going to take it out on society at large and more interested on targeting that aggression towards the thing that causes the pain. Um, and if, if other people can like rally behind that, or at least like feel the same joy I feel when I feel that just aggression in metal where I'm just like, Oh fuck. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. what I'm talking about. Like that's ultimately what I would love to people to, to take away from Axe slashers that like, yeah, they're talking about aliens and, and cutting people up and, you know, houses of horror and they've made a song about serial killers and stuff. But like the core of it is that like, it's a lot of pain in the world and you can do yeah. different things with that pain. You can channel it into weirdo art like I try to do. You can channel it into beautiful art like a lot of people do. There's a lot of different avenues for that. And if I can help you build the the, uh, you know, water going down, uh, you know, through uh, going down a boulder and, you know, eroding away a path. If yeah. I can, like, be the drop that starts that for you so other drops can go and get channeled that aggression into something more positive, then I would love to do that. And I feel like that's kind of the the change, quote unquote, that I could affect in the world is like, here's how I deal with pain, <laughs> right? Like, I make yeah. death metal about it or I make thrash metal about it and I try to turn it into something that is that other people can appreciate, even if all of it's, like, personal stuff. Yeah, that's yeah. and I that's that's healthy that's that's what we try to do i mean with this podcast with death Coming, yeah. thing we're trying to extend a healthy message in a way that horror and heavy metal fans would receive it in ways that maybe they wouldn't if it wasn't for us and uh you know that's one of my favorite things about horror and this is really what we do is just an extension of the horror and heavy metal community just being welcoming like you know you get spoon-fed those messages of acceptance through George Romero, whether you look at those movies that way or not, it's in your, it plays in your subconscious. And like, you know, we have a whole fucking podcast about Black Sabbath and like all the <laughs> Hell yeah. is that can be found in Black Sabbath, even if you're not looking for them or not, you know? So I think somebody like you coming in with that attitude already and like, that's your goal with your music is huge. And we don't hear that enough, man. You know, I think that I'm, I, I, hate to I don't think it's unique in an artist I think that artists articulate that in different ways and and I've been thinking about that specific thing for a while and have kind of yeah. kind of song and dance around it to a certain extent to help people understand what's going on inside my skull um, but at the core of it art is essentially like I've bottled an emotion or I've bottled a reaction or a thought and I'm repackaging it for other yeah. people to consider in whatever way they want to consider it, right? Like high art in a gallery. That's the thought is that I have an experience, emotion or thought that I'm capturing, repackaging and putting on display for other people to interact with, experience, uh, think about however they may think about it. Because as an artist, you don't have control over that. You no, have you control don't. over your intent and you have control over putting it out there, but you have no control over how anyone else will react to it. So you can think about like, 
um, American Psycho, the the movie and the book to a certain yeah. extent, like very a huge amount of backlash against it where both the author Brett Easton Ellis and the director uh, of, of the film, I, I can't remember her name. I feel bad for yeah. spacing it, but they both felt like they were making at its core, a criticism of, of the patriarchy and misogyny to like the nth degree. And it got interpreted as this is the Bible for the it. patriarchy and yeah. celebration of misogyny, yeah. um, which you can't control that. And at the same time, like, you can think about things like Slayer's Angel of Death, right? Like I take for granted that the lyrics are all about one of the greatest monsters in history and they're not explicitly critical, right? Like right. they're they're factual in their delivery. So there's this awesome channel on YouTube called Lost in Vegas. And it's two guys that are normally into hip hop and they occasionally have found this audience with metalheads where metalheads will suggest stuff for them to listen to uh, and see if they can find like that awesome crossover that I think us as metalheads, when we deal with non-metalheads, we're like, I think I can convert you to some degree. I'll find <laughs> a slice of metal you out. like. Yeah. And um, you know, they did a, a you know reaction to angel of death and you know they're getting into it and they're listening and they always read the lyrics as they're going even if they're doing like you know rap and hip-hop because they're really interested in what's the lyrical themes behind these things and you could see like as the lyrics got deeper and deeper into the the mangala stuff they were like mm, benefit okay. the aryan race like wait a minute this isn't <laughs> this is uh, hold on we're gonna pause this video and we're gonna look up like maybe the genius report on this song or something to find some context because right now y'all are pissing us off by making us listen to that and then they found that history and they're like okay so this chaotic music is representative of the mind of one of uh, like the world's greatest monsters yeah. we can understand that and looking through like interviews that slayer did where they're like we're not we are not championing joseph mengala we are trying to write the most aggressive music possible and we think we found history's greatest monster that's what we're yeah. trying to capture here well, and I, I think that, so that, that makes me think of a couple of things, right? Number one, I think that especially in death metal and especially in sort of gorier death metal, I think Exhumed is an excellent example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What they really do is give you a space to populate with your own meaning, right? right. Even though it's explicitly talking about like sawing somebody up or like, you know, fucking a corpse or something like that. You can, right. find, you can find other things in this that you that you put into it and that that it, you know it becomes yours in a very specific way right right um and i totally forgot the second thing that 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 came to mind with that what was the last thing that you said i don't even know man i got in, in okay. what you were yes. talking about when we started talking about exhumed <laughs> yeah this is an and this is another thing right um and exhumed is another great example of this i think um when you look at bands like Slayer and when you look at themes like Holocaust related shit, right? These things are abhorrent. And it's, right. it's not necessarily to say that, that singing about it or that making art that, that sort of centers on it is always okay because it's, because it's not right. But right. I think that one of the main things to consider, especially when you're thinking about, and again, I don't say this as an apologist and I don't say this to excuse anything, I just think that empathy is the best way to try and understand a lot of these things. I think that with a lot of the music that we like and a lot of the music that sort of set the trends that have been embraced by heavy music over the years, uh, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, all of that was just this quest for extremity, right? right? And I think that a lot of times what extremity looks like from one person to the next varies wildly. 
Right. And that's why I think early on when you've got these 17, 18, 19 year old kids trying to come up with the thing that's going to gross them out more than the band that they liked, you know, who'd already sang about something like that. Right. Right. This is just what, this is the form that that happened to take. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I think that we need to realize that number one, the intent behind that thing, I think is less about glorifying, you know, something that is, for example, misogynist on its surface and at its core or something that revolves around a piece of history that contains a whole lot of fucking pain built into it, like anything Holocaust related. Right. I think that a lot of times looking at that as a quest for extremity is, is something that can help you sort of better understand the bedrock of the genre. But at the same time, we have to understand, you know, as artists or as appreciators of this kind of shit that, like you said, after you create this thing and put it into the world, you can't get fucking your toes stepped on when somebody takes this as you saying as that you're celebrating uh, misogyny or that you're celebrating right. the Holocaust or something right. like that. Because after it leaves your hands, it's not yours anymore, right? Right. Somebody else is populating that with their aggression um, or with things with aggression that's been directed towards them. Right. And I, I think that that is something that I wish I wish I had a chance to talk to like a 14 year old version of myself when mm -hmm. I was just getting into heavier music and say, you know, you don't have to embrace the extreme, the, the particular brand of extremity that some of these people are singing about, you know, guys like Chris Barnes, uh, for mm -hmm. example, like I love that music and there's still a, a huge, I obviously like I still fucking have a lot of love for that music. But when I go back and I listen to that stuff now, I can see why aspects of the lyrics can be taken the wrong way by the people who are listening to it and embracing it, right? And what right. that should do is, is not let us know that these things are bad and we shouldn't do them. It's that we need to respect them more. Um, and we need to understand that, that like this has the power to change the way a person sees the world. Um, and I don't think yeah. that a lot of us keep that at the forefront when we're talking about fucking death metal and horror movies, right? Because it is, <laughs> it is sort of relegated to the trash bin of modern popular culture. And, and, right. but, but, but it's not. It's significant. There's a lot there. Well, you hit on something that's been on, on my mind for a while, which is like the quest for extremity is 100% kind of like the what are the driving forces behind extreme metal? Sure. And I think that um, what that extremity looks like is totally based off of perspective of the person trying to create something in that spectrum of extremity. Um, yeah. and, and you totally, you nailed on it. It's like 18 year old, 14 year old, 15 year old, 16 year old kids taking in things like cannibal corpse from the eighties and stuff that exists now that's been influenced by that extremity and tried to one up it in whatever degree without the full picture uh, of what this means when other people hear it you know you yes. think that like everyone in my metal scene in my town is awesome and a great person and doesn't actually harm people and we all bond over singing about harming people rather than actually harming people but that quest for extremity you know may have like a, a majority uh good person kind of like a co cohort within it but there are shadows and the, yes. those shadows house some very dark people and some very dark intent. And I used to have a very privileged view of like, well, I know what the reach of maybe a band at the apex of this is. And it's nothing compared to 
a lot of other things. So these people in the shadows making this, you know, national socialist black metal, like what five people listen to that, that kind of like privileged view of like um, almost a capitalistic view of like, well, there's no one buying it. So who gives a shit? And that's, that's not right. That's not a a proper view of it. I don't think, I think that um, because of that, that intent and that harm and that new kind of like idea of like more people in the genre is good like having that stuff as part of the genre is historical to the genre, but I used to have a privilege, like, well, they're artists also, and I don't know their intent because they haven't explicitly stated it. You know, maybe their intent is talking about Nazism in that quest for extremity, because that's certainly an area I'm not going to go with my music because I abhor everything about racism. But I also have like that art school background of like, that privileged art school background of like, well, you know, art is a thought put, you know, put together and repackaged for consumption. And it's how the audience reacts to it, ignoring that like audiences aren't all the same and they're not all logical. They're not all coming with the same kind of like set of experiences to understand and like basically write that shit off the way I do. There's plenty of people out there like this speaks to me in a way that nothing else has. And I'm going to be the sixth purchase of this album. And I'm going to use this album to like, inspire myself to make this you know racist awful thing or this harmful thing you know that can be put out into the world and i I think about that often because like that privileged art school view of it where like yeah of course nazis can make art and it's our job as the audience not to take any part of it um we've seen i think that comes from a pre-social media understanding of that stuff because now there's this gasoline of social media that uh, can be thrown on whatever horrible thing you'd like and it can become a, a mainstream idea. Like I look at QAnon uh, for this, where it's like, this is incredible that something that most logical people, when it's explained to them, they go, sounds like a cool movie, but I don't think this is real, man. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but a, an alarming amount of people are bought in wholesale to this being the way of the world. And realizing that those pers- not everyone share, like, I think we understand this to a certain degree, but that's a huge illustration of it, that not all of us share the same perspective of the world or even the same perspective of what reality actually is, what being logical means. Like, we think that there's definitions that are accepted widely, but I bet you and I have different definitions of logic and reality if we really got down into it. Sure. Um, and the the strangeness is in between that overlap and gray area and how something like the idea of QAnon could take hold and like really take the world by storm to the point that people are invading the Capitol, people are tearing down 5G, yeah. all these unrelated things, you know, and that that common kind of glue and gasoline is the exposure of social media combined with it happened before the pandemic, but now like people have these, these machines, like it's an extension of them more than ever before, because there's not much to fucking do right now. Uh, other than dive deep into this weird world. And I used to love conspiracy theories. They used to be my favorite thing because I had this idea that like, these are fun, modern stories, narratives to tell each other. They're probably not true. They're, but they're fun, like just like ghost stories, right? Like the ghost stories are fun to tell. Conspiracies are fun to tell. And I used to listen to Coast to Coast every night, thinking about like, oh, uh, you know, listen to truck drivers, just basically call in and pass the time on a 12 hour drive. Um, and thinking about, I never really thought that other listeners of Coast to Coast would be like bought in hook, line and sinker about every single thing that they call in about. Like I understood that like, yeah, some of the UFO, UFO people are like 
totally bought in to the point that they could probably be considered professors on this subject. And maybe the Sasquatch people and some of the government conspiracy stuff is, has a little bit of truth to it. Cause when we find out about like MK ultra and other things, you're like, it's been okay. They've done weird shit too. And I think that that I didn't realize that my threshold for basically calling something true or not true was a hundred percent different than, you know, a third of the country, half of the country. I don't know what it is, but um, yeah. That's that thing that like really started bringing me to this idea of like, well, no, it's not a capitalistic market of ideas when it comes to harmful art. Like we should we should be against harmful art. And as artists, we should say that like we don't work with harmful artists who like their intent and we know their intent is to harm through their art. We don't want to work with them. We don't want to tolerate them. We don't want them in the same spaces as us. I agree with that. And I think that it comes down to like the intent question. That's so difficult to define without actually talking to someone, right? Sure. And and that's where it gets sticky, um, at least in my view, is like, how do you tease out intent? As an artist, do you need to release your intent? Um, I think that's contextual. Uh, yeah, well, and I, I think that a lot, of, a lot of the problems that we run into, especially with the older school, right? The people who mm -hmm. really sort of set up this kind of music who now are sort of being shocked that they've been labeled racist or that they've been labeled misogynist or whatever, because there may not have been that intent there. There's a transparency with newer creators that, that gives us access to those things where that wasn't right. part of the original old school, right? And when you talk about art or when you talk about reality, when you talk about anything, you know, I, I try to steer away from belief. You don't get to get all the way out of that. But one of the things that I've sort of come to realize is that I, I think experience is just subjectivity all the way down. I mm -hmm. think that there is no uniform understanding of anything for everybody. You know right. what I mean? There's something right. about everything that is individualized, that is personalized for you. And I, you know, my, my day job, I teach at, at a university and I teach writing. And a lot of the time in English 102, one of the things that I fucking, you know, don't feel like reading in your researched argumentative essay is your, how you feel about pro-life or pro-choice or why you, <laughs> why you think that the drinking age should be lowered for, to 18 or, you know what I mean? Like these right. are not things that you're going to be able to mount a convincing argument about anyway. Uh, so I came up with this list of shit that I said, I prefer you don't write about these things. And on that list, I gave a number of suggestions of other things to write about. And up until last year, that list had conspiracy theories on it, right? Mm -hmm. Because those things are interesting. And because I feel like a lot of times the conspiracy theory shit gives you a chance to do the kind of research that we're asking you to learn in an academic environment while talking about something that's relatively low stakes, right? Like. Right. Right. underwater noises or Sasquatch <laughs> or something. You, you know what I mean? Like, right. that's the kind of shit. But like, I start getting papers that's got like this hardcore anti-Semitic shit sort of fed into it as right. part of as part of that conspiracy mythos. And that is just another reinforcing thing that says to me a lot of the same shit that you've been saying over the last couple of minutes and that we've been talking about in this entire conversation. It's, it's subjectivity all the way down, right? We cannot possibly understate how different these meanings can be from one audience to the next right um and i think that i think that part of the way that we come to appreciate that power and that we come to figure out better and healthier ways to negotiate it is simply to acknowledge it is to have the kind of conversations that we're having right now where we say listen these songs about like killing women or whatever i i understand that as a kid this person like may have seen something in the news 
or mm-hmm. read something in a textbook and said, all right, I'm going to put a fictional twist on this and take it to the next level. But when you do something like that, yes, you might be creating, you might have that intent for it to be nothing other than a piece of entertainment that's supposed to have shock value, right? But right. with creating that comes the responsibility for it and for understanding where it's going to go, where it could go, right? And if having that responsibility makes you balk, maybe you shouldn't do it. Um, <laughs> that's a great you know, way to put it. Yeah. You know, what, you know what I mean? Like if you, if you sit there and say to yourself, I'm going to create this savage work of violence in which horrible things happen to the most vulnerable people in which the point that I'm making is essentially from a philosophical standpoint, punching down um, mm-hmm. towards, towards people who are already on unsteady ground anyway. Um, I'm going to put that out there. And then when the people who are getting punched down at start to take it personally, you don't really have the right to, to get offended by them being offended, right? Right, absolutely. And I think that, that, that I think that that's part of the great misunderstanding that we have with the culture war anyway in the world via social media right now, right? It's absolutely. All about, it's all about like me getting my expression tread on by somebody else who took it the wrong way and infinite <laughs> back and forth about like, well, you're a crybaby. No, you're a crybaby. No, you're a crybaby. There's not, we don't have the capacity to deal with this kind of shit logically at right. the speed at which these exchanges are taking places because the speed at which they're taking places puts us in a position where emotion takes over. Yes. And we're not going to, yes. we, we don't get to get past that as humans. I, I don't think, I think that, I think that this is part of why we're just endless, endlessly locked in this further dividing culture war between <laughs> right and left or secular and, and pious or however you want to put it. Um, it's easier to be on one side or the other than it is to face this horrifying realization that everything is gray, right? Right. That right. everything is relation all the way down and that there's absolutely no way for the thing that is so harmless for me, like a, like an aborted record or something, you know, right. There's no possible way to understand just how seriously this kind of shit can be taken, not only by a person whose intent is to harm, but by a person who has survived harm. Right. Right. And I, I think that understand it one all of this is to say that is just super refreshing to me to have a conversation with a musician to have a conversation with an artist who understands that there is a responsibility there is a burden that comes with creating these things right i i think yeah i think that anything this comes down to so i've most of my career actually all my career like professional career i've been a designer so a designer of physical objects designer of digital objects and artifacts and, and things like that And one of the things that I picked up on really quickly is that there is a social responsibility to the things that you build, you know, at its basis level, your name is on the creation of this thing and you are responsible to a certain degree of what, you know, you have to think when you're making anything, how is this going to be used with ill intent? Um, And I think that that's something that my, I guess, peers and, and people more modern designers don't think about that responsibility when they're building digital tools or when they're even building like physical tools. Like if you're designing a house, you have a responsibility to make sure that that is, is safe to inhabit. Um, you have a responsibility to look into how can you make this, you know, how can you lessen the impact on the environment of basically changing the environment and putting a bunch of electricity 
uh, metal, wood, and and stone where you're at. What is the what are the ramifications of that? And I think that I ho- I would hope that that's not a unique view when creating things. Is like what happens after it's made. Like because there's yeah. there's two types parts of creation. Like I look at professional creation, things that I do for a day job. That has um, there's a lot of thought that goes into it. And then there's personal creation. You know, painting, drawing music to a certain extent where part of it is simply exploration and release and then reckoning with that once it's complete um and i think there's those are kind of like two things and i find that that professional aspect of like creeps into that personal quite a bit of like what is your responsibility in owning this thing that you've created what is your responsibility when you put it out into the world because we talked about this to death like you don't own it once it goes out there anymore it can be like it would be horrible, horrifying to me if, you know, the Proud Boys all of a sudden start super getting into Axe Slasher. That would be, you know, and you start seeing on television, they're like playing Mark of the Pizza Graham as they're marching <laughs> through the streets and shit. I'd be like, oh my God, what the fuck have I done? I should have put some lyrics on this song to keep people from doing this. Um, you know, that, that kind of thing. But at the same time, like, I know we have problematic fans. I, I've talked to them. They've, you know, like I said, being part of that search for extremity brings, you know, we attract weirdos and weirdos yeah. of all shapes and sizes. And there's often a, an interesting reckoning when they feel like I'm aligned with kind of their, what I would consider shitty worldview and those things crash together. And I'm like, I don't believe that at all, man. That sounds fucking kooky to me. Um, and, yeah. and frankly, it kind of pisses me off that you're talking to me about it. Uh, that's a... Well, that's- it's there's a there's a mutual recognition of vulnerability that needs to take place in that exchange right like you as an artist have created this thing that somebody else has taken and perverted right right while at the same time it's and it's and especially when it's your baby right it's easy for you to to be offended right and to say to to let that pay to let that emotion sort of come out on top and to say you got me all wrong um, and this is fucked up, you know, the way that you, <laughs> yeah. the way that you're taking this, but at the same time, and this is the hard part. This is the part that nobody wants to do. And this is the part that I, I don't want to do that. We're all bad at. This is the fucking hard part is looking at that person with those maligned views, with that shitty fucking worldview, who's taken your baby and perverted it and defiled it. Right. Is right. looking at them with that same empathy that you have for the people who've been violated and trying to understand yeah. what is it? that can get you out of this. Yeah. Can I do that? And if right. you can, you have the responsibility to try. If you can't, then how you deal with that is up to you, right? I'm not, I'm not the person who's gonna say, this is how we deal with uh, fucking like avowed, uh, unrepentant Nazis that we cannot change. That's your decision how you wanna deal with that. I don't wanna right. embrace those people, so I don't. But I only try and get to that point after I've done everything that I can, which is on a sliding scale, right? To see right. whether or not I can change this person's mind. Because at the end of the day, and we, I was looking at this in a conversation on Twitter earlier, right? We never see argument. What we see online is debate. It's a spectator mm-hmm. sport. It's only mm-hmm. trying to own the other person, to punk the other person out, right? And if you win, at the end of that, maybe the other person is humiliated, but there's still the other side right they didn't you didn't convert them by owning them and you didn't change anybody's mind if anything you drove that person deeper into this fucking ideology now they're going to seek out a community that's safe for them with other people who've been scorned by fucking wokeism or whatever whoever their particular man is and and there's no 
all that does is deepen the divide, right? Right. And it's, it's, but it's hard. It's hard to say there are minds that we can change. It's hard to look at somebody with a repugnant fucking ideology who's got a fucking swastika on their t-shirt or some bullshit <laughs> like that. That is, that is horrific, right? But also right. say, this is a 17-year-old kid who might have come from a fucked up environment. What can I do to try and fix this? Yeah. How can I try and fix this? And if I can, I need to. And if I can't, that again, like I don't, I don't feel comfortable saying like this is what you need to do in that in that situation because I <laughs> because I don't know. And at the end of the day, I don't know about any of this shit, right? I have no fuck. I don't have anything figured out. I just right. the majority of the people who I deal with on a day to day basis, whose ideologies I might find questionable, are 17, 18, or 18, 19, 20 year old kids, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like any of us who are in that situation, who are dealing with somebody who might be dabbling in some fucked up shit, but maybe haven't been all the way cemented in it, the responsibility there is to try and figure out a way to get them out of that, not yeah. to drive them further into it, right? Absolutely. And, and, Absolutely. You know, dude, this is this has been a fucking amazing conversation. I would I could talk to you for hours about this shit. Um, oh, man, if you want. We gotta. Well, I wanna. I wanna. Before we get too far into this super important philosophy, before we start talking about the shit that really matters in life, <laughs> let's let's go back to the bullshit. Um, with with some of the time that we have left, a couple of things that I wanted to to ask about. Let's I go back. To... Talk about pizza this whole time, guys. Oh fuck! <laughs> I've, just been, I've just been holding back my pizza questions, just waiting for you guys to be done with the important shit. I know we're just over here, egghead college guy bullshitting around for like hours here, and, and we're not talking <laughs> about the important stuff like pizza. Like pizza. Let's get to fuck it. Let's get to pizza. Pizza, <laughs> Professor Pizza. I, I mean, I have to imagine that pizza is a huge influence on you, and I just, I just want to know more about your background and your personal relationship with my favorite cheat meal. And uh, where, where's the best? Where's the worst in your area? And like, how does this affect Axe Slasher's music? You know, um, pizza is an undercurrent for Axe Slasher because at some point in time, everyone in Axe Slasher has worked in a pizza shop. Uh, the Professor Pizza moniker and essentially the template for the rest of the names of the band members, Dr. Barbaric, Mr. Scissors, uh, Dr. Grind, all came from... Uh, a whim on MySpace in like the early 2000s where I was like, Professor Pizza sounds like a really funny name to have on a website, uh, which which ended up taking off. And, you know, people like Patrick from Crypticus started just exclusively calling me PP, uh, Professor Pizza or just pizza yeah. by default. Um, and it became kind of a, a funny running joke and maybe one of the first nicknames I've actually had in my life that wasn't like used to oppress me, uh, <laughs> you know, from a bully or something like that. Right, right. Um, but I mean, I've always been a huge fan of pizza. Um, this is weird because like, I think that people lump us into like a pizza thrash category, which maybe rightfully so. I mean, before we had music out, we were selling t-shirts with a pizza pentagram on it, but that came from a conversation with the artist, Tim Cochran, uh, on like a new year's Eve, you know, smoking joints and, and talking about like, Hey man, I had this idea for a band that I'm doing. And I think that like, you know how DRI has like the, the mosh guy, like I got a symbol that we could unite around and it's just like a, a pizza made a pentagram. And, you know, I think you're the right guy to do it. And he just like, as soon as I started saying it, he started sketching it and he goes like this. I was like, exactly like that. And he's like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll paint it up for you in a couple of days and, and we'll get it done. And you know, that turned into 
I thought it was just, hey, it's a funny way to like help fund trying to buy some of this equipment that I wanted to help make the 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 album past band experience and know how to make t-shirts and know how to like get those out and sell them and that kind of stuff and started just selling them for like figured hey i may sell five and be able to buy like the interface i need to hook my guitar up to my computer and then i could record uh it was kind of the idea and as soon as that came out it was getting bootlegged and i was like we're not even a band and our shit's getting bootlegged um in italy and france and in america so I started thinking like, well, I guess it's proof that it's worth something, <laughs> you know, if other people are, are bootlegging it sure. um, and, and really tried to move forward with like using that within the, the symbolism of the band, because at its heart, it is it is a great representation of my personal views of the world, which is like occult stuff is awesome, but not serious. So sure. it's like it's awesome, but not serious. Uh, the Pizza whole everything. Worship <laughs> Satan. Exactly. Exactly. Because what does that mean? It means eat something unhealthy and participate in something that makes you feel good. Okay, great. All right. So you wanted to know about some of my favorite places in Denver, um, yes. top place, top two places, Marquee Pizza, which is actually where if you go there, you may see a member of Axe Slasher working uh, on certain nights or someone who's played on an Axe Slasher record, but not, you know, officially part of the band. You may see a couple people like that working there amazing new york style pizza that's inside of this awesome uh you know rock club that you could go during the before times and see killer bands pick up a slice get a you know go to the bar awesome sound system perfect small like maybe like 400 capacity kind of club um right in the heart of downtown denver awesome place second favorite it's a place called benny blanco's off of 13th street um Sounds Back good. in the day, used to be full of people from the music scene. I haven't been in a while. Uh, I've ordered, but I haven't been in, in in a while. But it had this reputation of it was open super late. So super drunk people would come in. And the guys from you know the, the music scene would fuck with the drunk people to no end from behind the counter. Super small space. These guys are like, you know, butt crack up against the pizza oven, getting yelled at by drunk people and not taking an ounce of shit. And that was like my favorite thing in the world when I was a drinker is like going in there and watching them yell at people and like going in and being like, can I have a slice of like, no, you can't have a fucking slice of what you're asking for because it's too fucking in the morning. What you see here is what we got. Pick and fucking leave. And I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> this is exceptional. What is, okay. So what is, what's your ideal topping situation? I'm classic. I'm simple. I either like a single topping, something like pepperoni, or I like to go cheese. Um, I like to also flip it up, uh, flip it around and get like a white pizza with with very little toppings, um, occasionally like some mushrooms or something like that. But the key to me is you got to have really good cheese. That's like a huge key. And then you have to have a crust that's uh, crispy on the bottom, slightly chewy on top and not thick. I like it New York style. That's my favorite. Although I will branch out and say uh, Chicago style pizza, totally different thing. Um, more of a casserole. Still like it. Yeah, uh, it. <laughs> it's it's amazing. And I've been curious about Detroit style. I keep hearing about it, but I've never tried it. So I want to. So I don't know if it's Detroit style or not. But one of the, no. Okay, never mind. It's Ohio Valley style pizza. Are you familiar Interesting. with this? No, no. Ohio Valley. Zach, are you familiar with this? Yes, I am. I'm familiar with okay. all the I'm going to be really, I'm going to feel bad if I step on your toes here, but You're if not. I do, man, you guys had it coming because this shit's a fucking abomination. <laughs> You're not. Yeah. It's Ohio, not, I, I Ohio Valley style pizza is like a crust with like some sauce on it 
and then they run that through an oven, right? Okay. And then they put then they put cold toppings and cold grated cheese on top of it. It's basically and some of those toppings are lettuce. It's like a salad on top Excuse of me? a fucking pizza crust. It's it, it's the it's it's abominable. Like there's just no other way around it. And apparently there was a place we lived in Myrtle Beach before we lived here. And apparently there was a place in Myrtle Beach that did Ohio Valley style pizza because so many people from the the Northeast and the Midwest come down there uh, for vacation. And I remember thinking like, I'm not going to go there because this is wrong on like, as somebody who tries to cleave away from like morality towards ethics or whatever, everything about that being done to a pizza is unethical to me. I, I agree. Um, I, I agree. It's worth trying out of curiosity if your expectations are low and you're in for an adventure. You know what I mean? As you like regularly? A... <laughs> yes. Yes. If you're looking do to you... get weird. What you said? Do you, know, do, do you eat it regularly? No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> That's the reaction that I need. No, no, no. Right, right. It's more I about I'd know. like to watch you eat this, is what I got out of Zach on yeah, that. Like, yeah. go ahead and yeah. do it it's, as do It's as like a you study. have to try it. It's almost like a rite of passage. If you're a pizza connoisseur, you know, you got to you got to got to dive in. It's, we have a famous <laughs> place called Beto's, B-E-T-O-S, that does it. And a lot of people really like it. Um, and it's, it's cool if you're like stoned, I guess it's different. But we actually we actually have a lot of good pizza here in Pittsburgh. So if, I believe it. Like, oh, yeah, I believe yeah. that. I believe uh, that there's so, like a New Hampshire style pizza that I've had, which is is really good. Um, hard to describe like what makes it totally unique, but I think sure. it comes down to dough recipe and toppings essentially. Pretty much. Um, worst pizza I've ever had, and God, it's been maybe a decade and a half since I've had this pizza, but I still remember how terrible it was. Um, one of my old bands, a band called DDC, which stood for Death, Destruction, and Chaos, or Dicks Dipped in Chocolate, depending on what day you were talking to us. Really? Um, we were playing a show in Las Vegas at a place called The Double Down. I think it's The Double Down now, but it was something different back then. Um, and it was like this all-day festival, a uh, bunch of like horror rock bands, but we were like a straight thrash punk kind of thing, outfit. Uh saw they had pizza on the menu i was like all right i can get i can get down with some pizza i love pizza order the pizza and out comes this convex blob of of dough that has ketchup and velveta cheese like squares arranged on the top of it and and melted oh. and I, I still remember that being the the worst pizza i think i've ever had where oh, it's like that's some fucking prison shit that's like, what that's, i thought that's exactly that's what i thought that's that's like they said if somebody said all right you gotta bust into this abandoned house and make a pizza out of whatever's in the fucking cabinet <laughs> that's fuck, dude that's disgusting I, i'm like, sorry it felt like someone was like dude they ordered the pizza no one's ever ordered <laughs> the pizza what the fuck do we do okay here's a pizza on the exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I have no time in my life for like pretentious pizza with arugula and prosciutto on it. It's like you know, this a personal personal size, and it's like twenty bucks. You know, this place. <laughs> no, I'm trying. To, I'm trying to get a pizza that's this fucking big around, and I'm trying to be miserable at the end of it. Like I want yeah. my pizza to please me until it punishes me. That's <laughs> how I know that it's good. Yeah, I'm a glutton. I have to eat the whole thing at least half. Oh of yeah. It. I'm not like a one slice and go kind of guy. When I eat pizza, I'm fucking eating this pizza. 
Yes, thing. absolutely. Yeah. I, I try right. to limit my consumption by like, so with my spouse, I'll be like, okay, well, let's do a half and half on the largest pie that they have. Yeah, that true. way, like we have a division of what's mine, what's yours. Uh, I have a hard stop, which is half <laughs> the pizza. Yeah, and and really at least delineated. like, that's the way we moderate it at our house. Is I was like, I'll just split it in half and call half of it yours. Um, and I am not, like, I, I literally cannot without encroaching on your property. <laughs> that's usually helpful. All right, so we got we got two more questions for you. Let's do it. The, the, the first question, all right? Now, the next question is really important. This question, I feel like, is pretty important specifically for you. What is your favorite canon horror franchise? And when I say canon, I'm talking about the the most inexperienced motherfucker needs to have some vague notion of what you're talking about. Like, it's, it's infiltrated pop culture to an extent outside of horror. What's your favorite oh. franchise? Friday the 13th um, okay. for, for a, a majority of reasons that, you know, it is one of the trashier uh, in terms of like its existence, right? Like the whole thing is Sean Cunningham being like, Hey, Halloween horror movie about kids getting cut up based off of, off of a holiday. I could do that. I got, you know, a camera in two weeks. Let's do that. Uh, but the, I like the, the, the legend that comes out of it, like, you know, choosing Tom Savini to, to do the gore there and the illustrious career he had up until then and afterwards, right? Like the legend of basically Savini carrying that movie because script wise, not so great, uh, yeah. shot wise, meh, not so great. But when you get into like understanding how Savini works and saying like, he really grabs that director by the balls and is like, if you want to make this right here's how you need to set it up. You need to show the implement. You need to prove that the implement is scary by scraping it along a wall or, or doing something with it to prove its power. And then when my rubber version goes through, you know, Kevin Bacon's neck, uh, all of a sudden we've got a totally different like sell to this. He thinks yeah. about it in magic and all that stuff. But like Friday the 13th, starting from what was it? 1979 in, with Friday the 13th part one yeah. to now we're still talking about trying to make those movies, but there's legal battles between um, Vic, what's his name yeah. and Cunningham. And both of them are, I personally support uh, uh, Vic on that one. And Sean Cunningham, I think is kind of a, a dickhead, but that's neither here nor there. He and I aren't going to work together and he's got a right to treat his art however he wants to. Fair, um, fair. But like, that is one of those things that as a pre horror person, you see the image of the hockey mask uh, in popular know. culture, it, like permeating all over it from the Simpsons sure. to just anywhere. That was the go-to for a long time when you wanted to have like a slight scare in any, you know, even thinking about like um, uh, Christmas vacation, there's the scene with the, with the hockey mask oh, and chainsaw. Yeah. And Jason never really got into the chainsaw, uh, but that combination that combination of the chainsaw and the hockey mask uh, became like this pop culture thing that I started to look into and was like, what, it, where does that come from? Like, why does this keep showing up in media that I'm enjoying comedy, drama, whatever, as yeah. like a cheap reference? Uh, what is that reference? And finding Friday the 13th through Joe Bob Briggs uh, doing a marathon as a young kid, starting with, I think it was part five and you know flipping it on be like oh joe bob briggs this is fun and um trying to stick out that friday the 13th marathon from five on at that point i remember being so scared as a kid at the gritty realism which now we know is essentially the low budget of the yeah. of the film but the idea <laughs> right? is like 
I had been to, you know, a week long summer camp and was familiar with camping and that feel of like being isolated in the woods and throwing in like a seven foot dude with uh, no emotion on his face because he's wearing a mask who wants to kill you with any type of garden tool he can find scared the living shit out of me like totally like oh god like you know turn it off turn it off i'm not gonna i I can't deal with this kind of thing um and then later on when my parents went to bed as a kid i snuck back out into the living room popped it back on to see like come on man you can do this you know you're not a wuss you can get through this it was just a movie and then like being scared as hell but like watching you know three or four of those movies in a row kind of like getting into the groove with it and being like okay this is cool. And like at yeah. the time as a kid, you like start getting into the mythology of Jason. You're like, okay, so part five, the one I was scared of wasn't him. And then, so he had died in the one before that. Okay. I, I didn't see that, but Oh God, he's a zombie in part six and part seven. He's fighting a, a little girl. That's a psychic. And in part eight, uh, you know, he's, he's on a boat. Okay. We're, we're on yeah. a boat. Let's go to, Oh, we're in New York Manhattan. city now. For Let's one scene, for, for one scene, we're in fucking Manhattan. Yeah. yeah. I always, I always have to point out that, he swam to New York from a lake. That's <laughs> fucking impressive. Well, they, yeah. they took a boat from yeah. Crystal Lake to New York uh, sure. without any explanation of the fjord or river or anything. It was like a giant boat, too. It wasn't just a, a dinghy that, you know, we're used to seeing in Crystal Lake. Cruise ship. <laughs> I love <laughs> <This> it. <laughs> a cruise ship from Crystal Lake, which... If we're thinking about it, it's a high school trip, right? Like these yeah. are kids going like on a high school trip before prom or graduation, whatever it is, or celebrating their graduation. But a summer camp is supposed to be isolated away from towns and high schools. And, yeah. and th- so none of this makes any fucking sense. It's just the idea of like, wouldn't it be cool to put Jason on a boat and then take him to New York? And all of us went, yeah. yep, that would be cool. Let's well, do that's it. like, like Halloween is my favorite franchise. But one of the things that I love about Friday the 13th is one of the things that I think that you hit on it is it, it, it's so unapologetically and transparently absurd. Right. <laughs> it, because they, I feel like, I feel like they trust the audience enough to understand sort of what they're after, right? Rather than having like this really fucking specific and uh, like like thorough buildup or justification for things. Like, no, we don't need that. This is not an exercise in that. This is an exercise in gratuity. How we get there, <laughs> if that's absurd, is part of what's fun about this. Absolutely. And, and you know, the those, uh, those franchises kind of like coming around in a, in a similar time and experiencing that kind of 80s boom where, I think in the, the 20s, 30s, and 40s, like people were still genuinely scared of the monsters. Yeah. Um, you know, like Dracula, Frankenstein, uh, Wolfman, Creature from the Black Lagoon. They legitimately scared audiences. There weren't people uh, like me, like, you know, putting the uh, the creature on my t-shirt and stuff and, and walking around because that would be considered. Yeah. yeah, there was no one rooting for them. But in the 80s, like the more exposure we got to these different villains, there was more of a like, I think the villain's the best part of this movie. Like yeah. they're not giving us any protagonists like really to identify with. And in, in most of these, except for the exception of maybe Halloween and the early parts of nightmare on Elm street, but in yeah. Friday the 13th, there was no one to identify with movie to movie except for Jason. And then through like a three movie arc, Tommy Jarvis, right? Like yeah. other than that, there's no one to really hang your hat on as you know, who you would celebrate except for Jason. And I like that. I think that that's yeah. part of what makes them fun, you know? And I, it's almost like with Friday the 13th, that was the mission statement, right? You, you've got <laughs> this, this really interesting, fun story with the final girl. And then 
it, what's the very first thing that happens in the second movie, you know? Right. Um, so like, and of course, you know, we had to come around to Jason in the second movie onward, but still like, I, I feel like that's an interesting take on the formula that is still novel today, even though it's been done to fucking death. I still think that's one of the things that's fun about Friday the 13th. And, and I love about Friday the 13th is that it's like, if you survive Jason, you can learn a lesson and just not go back to Camp Crystal Lake. Yes. You know, I'm not going back. Get the fuck done. out of there. I'm done. <laughs> Versus in Halloween, you know, Laurie Strode is going to be chased by Michael Myers for, you know, until one of them is actually dead, right? Like, that's just the, the end of the world for that. But in, or in Freddy Krueger, like, he can find you wherever, wherever you, you are. But Jason is literally like, just avoid 10 square miles of this yeah, part of New, upper New Jersey and you're good. Like, he's not going to get you. Stop. Stop fucking at the lake (laughs) and everything will be okay all right last question this is the big one this is the important one we ask this of every person who comes on this podcast i for one cannot wait to hear what your answer is zach please do the honors professor pizza what is your favorite black sabbath record Ooh, paranoid Paranoid. paranoid i think that's a first it might be that might be really yeah yeah that might be really that's interesting a, a lot of people may, might just be too scared to admit that it's you know they want they want a deeper cut or something <laughs> everybody wants to everybody wants to fucking flex their black sabbath deep cut knowledge but this yeah. motherfucker comes right out and says paranoid i love yeah. it i i thought that like as a as a kid the first Black Sabbath thing that I ever had was we sold our soul for rock and roll, you know, and I, I was unaware of the fact that it was a compilation. I thought that it was, I thought that was a record. And mm-hmm. then I ended up, the first Black Sabbath LP, like, like album that I bought proper was Paranoid. And then hearing all those songs in context and You're then so sort good. of being able to revisit them as like pulled apart entities in a compilation I absolutely loved that record. Um, yeah. So much cool shit going on there. You know, that you bring up an interesting point about like maybe past guests not wanting to talk about Paranoid because it's got like basically all the songs that anyone who's yeah. tangentially related to Black Sabbath knows, right? Like yeah. if you, it's the stuff that's on the radio that's still on the radio to this day. Um, but, you know, my personal connection with Paranoid is that when I was learning how to play guitar, those were instrumental like, to me learning how a guitar works like picking up and being like these songs that kick ass that my stepdad's always cranking you know in his pickup truck uh you know i could pick these up and and started realizing like as you learn like a power chord and some like little things that you're you know you're in your workbooks or whatever the fuck it is that you're trying with guitar because you have when you first pick up a guitar you have months of not producing a single pleasing sound at all and you it consume as much information you have about making a pleasing sound or several pleasing sounds in a row. And then you start to gravitate towards like, Oh, I hear the sounds that I've been making through the work. This sounds like a collection of things I could actually do. And you pick up, you know, paranoid song itself. It's like, Oh, I could play that. Okay. 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 Iron Man. I could play that. All right. This is all power chords. Oh, hell yeah. You don't need much to make a song, man. You just need power chords. Then when it gets into the awesome solo, you're like, all right, I guess you do need a little more. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll we'll get there. It's coming. At this point, like, dude, check it out. I could play the first like six minutes of Iron Man. Fuck yeah. (laughs) And that was, I gave up. 
I gave up the guitar battle. I don't I don't have the talent and I'm fucking lazy as shit. So I, I had like <laughs> I had like a month of guitar and my parents got me lessons and I was like, nah, I can't play fucking interstate love song. I, I don't want to do this anymore. And but one of the things that I figured out was Children of the Grave. And yes, that's on a different record, but like Black Sabbath. I just figured it out listening to it and fucking playing along on the guitar that they bought me. I was like, well, fuck, I, I'm doing this. I did this. Like, <laughs> like Black totally. Sabbath gives you that fucking gives you that confidence to try and pursue something greater. And because of that, now we got a band like fucking Axe Slasher. We owe Black right. Sabbath everything. Boom. That's right. We always I owe mean, Black Sabbath everything. The other thing that I'm constantly stealing from Black Sabbath is the worship of the tritone. You know, bomb, bomb, Biggest riff of all time that that basic concept of like incorporating that tritone into your into your chord progression is the cornerstone of almost every awesome riff that you can think of that's heavy metal adjacent or or heavy metal proper uh Evil, people man. hadn't been doing that because conventionally it didn't sound good but then they were like motherfucker we'll show you how it can sound good you got to be evil <laughs> take that shit slow and that's right fucking- Drum it. Don't play that muddy shit all at one time. You're going to let that <laughs> ring out. That's Bow. right. <laughs> if you're listening to the podcast right now, you're fucking welcome. Yes. That's right. Bring it. Professor dude. Pizza, Thank I you. can't tell you how fucking awesome this has been, man. It is so great to fucking talk to you finally. I, like I said, I'm a big fan of your shit. Cannot wait to hear more of it in the future. Um, I really hope that this horrible, horrible last 15 months or fucking however long has been somewhat kind to you. We didn't really talk about that. Uh, but thank you so much for your time, man. And I'm definitely looking forward to continuing our friendship. Thank you. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. It was cool to you know meet you to a certain extent rather than just exchanging messages and, and likes and all those other talking about, you know, through the gasoline uh, as, as we yeah. referenced it before. But this has been awesome. Zach, it was awesome to meet you. Uh, I really like what you guys are doing here on this podcast it was a lot of fun um i'll be in touch i want to send you some merch absolutely man absolutely that's awesome man it was great to talk to you bro absolutely out, man have a good weekend anytime anytime you want to have me back i'll be on um and one quick quick final plug xslasher.com xslasher.bandcamp.com xslasher on instagram facebook twitter blah 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 but i'm engaged in those things much less than normal but if you want to get at me Bandcamp website. That's the best place to do it. Buy this do it. man's shit. You do it will all. not regret it. Live record of the year. Let's say it right here, right? Woo! That's Easily. a big compliment. Woo! Ric Flair. That's right. <laughs> well, thank you guys. I appreciate you. Thank you, man. Have a good weekend. We will talk to you soon. See ya. Peace out. What a good dude. Yeah, man. That's all. What a good great. dude. What a multifaceted and deep conversation i was gonna say that i was like really surprised the level that that was not goofy <laughs> like i was Dude, he, that's yeah. one of the things that i like so much about him and this is something that you'll you find out if you interact with him very much over social media is that he's a smart motherfucker and a lot of the a lot of the stuff that he's doing with his art i feel like the intentionality behind it is very multifaceted and i think that like we talked about in the in the conversation with I put him up there with bands like Exhumed, um, with bands like Early Carcass, right? Who on the surface, yes, it is this gory sort of circus of excess. But if you dig deeper into it, there's a whole lot of shit going on. And I just really respect that. The same way that I respect all my favorite horror movies that are doing the same thing, you know? Couldn't agree more, brother.
that's what we do. It's good to see you today. Great to see you today, man. I can't wait to do this again. Well, we're going to do it soon. We have a fucking schedule. This is good. We do. We do. I I feel like we can't be faded in 2021. No, this is the real like Unstoppable fucking power. I mean, you're the man. I appreciate you, bro. This is great. You are the man. I love you, dude. Have a good weekend. I'll talk to you soon. Cheers, bro.